Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go, getting into another episode where I have the opportunity to meet with an accessibility practitioner. And today I'm very pleased to be speaking with Lainey Feingold. Hello, Lainey, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm speaking from my home office on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's Seattle headquarters. Where are you talking to us from? I am in Berkeley, California, in my home office where I have worked for the past 27 years. Wow, in that, in that same spot. In this very same spot, yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure it must work out well for you. And uh, it's, it's, I'm glad to uh, have you uh, here to join me. And I, I, I think a lot of people in the accessibility profession are very familiar with uh, you, at least by name, if not by your work, but uh, why don't you start by talking a little bit about uh, what you're involved with? Okay, well, um, first I'll do a quick uh, visual description because I know that's helpful for inclusion. So I am in my home office, like you said, and I'm a white woman with uh, gray hair, turning to white hair. I say that as my most salient visual feature uh, as a segue into the fact that I have been in the digital accessibility space since the mid 90s. And I consider myself an elder in the space, which is really a privilege. I'm a disability rights lawyer. Um, I've been working only on digital accessibility in the legal space, as I said, since the mid 90s. Um, I think my claim, my one of my legal claims to fame is that I believe in working on accessibility through collaboration. And I'm very happy to say that in all those years, um, I've had to only file but one lawsuit because I practiced a collaborative process called structured negotiation. And I've written a book about it. We could talk a little more about it later if you're interested. Um, and it's really about bringing the disability community together with organizations to work on solutions to accessibility barriers. That's been uh, mostly what I have done in the last couple of years. I've been lucky to have an opportunity to work with Disability In, which is a corporate business to business digital, uh, sorry, disability inclusion organization. And I help with the digital accessibility work there. And, you know, I love all my partners from Structured Negotiation. We've done the work with big companies, started with Bank America, Wells Fargo. We've worked with Walmart. All who have been great partners. Um, and many of those same companies are in Disability In. And my role there is um, to do what I consider my role as an elder, which is I have a certain amount of know-how since I've been in the space for so long. I also have a lot of know-who and I see myself as a connector and the digital accessibility community globally is just, just so wonderful and generous and sharing. And 
so yeah, so between the structured negotiation work and the disability in work and the work with my book, and the last thing I'd say is I do a lot of uh, public speaking and public writing about the space. I was saying before we got on the air here that somehow I'm in this role of like a bridge. I see myself as a bridge between what's happening in the legal space and what the digital accessibility community really needs to know about what's happening in the legal space. So I do a lot of writing and speaking about that. I do trainings on structured negotiation with a focus on how can we uh, avoid being a shark and learn to be a dolphin when we're trying to get accessibility enhancements. So that's, that's me and what I do. Well, you definitely made a lot of contributions in, in sharing your ideas uh, through your community engagement and all the different uh, talks you've done uh, over the years, certainly is very, very helpful. And, and I want to uh, talk more about your uh, current work and we can uh, talk about your book. Uh, we also like to find out how people found out, uh, found their way to working specifically with accessibility. So uh, maybe you could take us uh, back in time a little bit. Uh, I, I guess I'm an elder as well, kind of at the end of my career, but we've all have kind of milestones that got us to where we are today. So um, where did it start with you where I first either became aware of uh, this area or, or you, you just found uh, your way into it? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I too am at the end of the career. I turned 65 last year and I've written the book about my work and, you know, you could start anywhere. My high school yearbook, people wrote, you'll be a great lawyer, <laughs> see you in court. So I always uh, wanted to go into the legal space. Um, but I start this journey uh, with the fact that I was fired from a job. And I like to start there because especially for young people, those sorts of uh, things that happen are and seem and actually are very overwhelming when they happen. And when I got fired from this job, I was at a traditional civil rights firm and it was very unexpected to me. It was out of the blue. I was like, oh my God, I had two little kids. My husband and I just bought a house. It's like, oh my God, now what? And I very luckily ended up taking a four month position at Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. And I didn't, I'm in Berkeley birthplace of the independent living movement. And I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't know anything about disability rights. Certainly didn't know anything about digital accessibility. It was 1992, um, but I ended up at Dredef. And while I was there for those four months that turned into, first of all, they turned into four years. Um, I was filling in for someone and that person didn't come back. And so um, I stayed for four years. And during that time, blind people approached Dredef um, because they couldn't use ATMs. And they approached Dredef and also a private law firm with my colleague, Linda Dardarian, who now runs that firm. At the time, we were both young. Uh, and that's kind of how it started. The blind people who came to us were so knowledgeable about not just how to make ATMs accessible and what they needed, which was talking ATMs, which we now have, 
but they were all people willing to work in collaboration. It's just kind of random. We could have filed a lawsuit and we said, well, there weren't any talking ATMs anywhere in the world. The Americans with Disabilities Act was three or four years old when we started and we didn't want to screw it up for a whole genera generation trying to get this technology thing going. Um, and so it was this amazing group of blind advocates and activists that came together with the lawyers from DREDF and the private law firm. And we approached the banks and they said they would talk to us and we worked on talking ATMs. And at the end of that, in around 1998, one of the blind clients came to us and said, okay, good job talking ATMs, but there's this thing called online banking. We better make sure that's accessible. That conversation is really the, the seed of all my work in digital accessibility. Well, I, I want to uh, dig a little bit more into where you were there at, at that point in time, because uh, people I've talked to uh, on this series, a lot of people uh, first became familiar with it as software developers uh, or, or designers within organizations for web services. Others uh, first became exposed to academia with, you know, with that uh, being the support area. And uh, I, don't, I don't think I've talked with uh, anybody that specifically got in at that advocacy level early, early on. And uh, uh, so maybe uh, talk a little bit more about what the atmosphere was uh, uh, at that time, because uh, you, 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 it was, were, you, were you in the Bay Area at that time? And, and did you have connections uh, with people in other parts of the country? Yes, this, um, the DREDF was headquartered, is still headquartered in Berkeley, California, the Disability Rights Education Defense Fund. And that's where I've lived all this time. So the initial uh, group of blind people we work with were from mostly California. And we also work with the California Council of the Blind. And at the time, the banks were just becoming national. We had Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and Citibank, who we approached with the letter and said, would you like to work with us on ATM that work for blind people? Um, and so we were focused on that. It took a good four years to get those first agreements. And during those four years, we really saw the power of collaboration and what became structured negotiation. It wasn't structured negotiation then because we didn't have a name because we didn't know we had a thing. We were just trying to work out a problem. But the relationship between the banking people and the blind community that was involved, we went to talking ATM, we went to ATM labs all over the state and blind people gave their input and gave their experience. And the, the light bulbs would just go off in these bankers' heads like, Oh, we never thought about that. And sad to say, not with ATMs, but with many other kinds of technologies, that's still true today. When people are approached with an open hand instead of a closed fist of litigation, I find that there's a lot of openness. To, oh, we didn't really realize that. We didn't understand how blind people could do this or do do this. So we started in California and then we had the first agreement in 1999. Wells Fargo made the first commitment to talking ATMs. Citibank followed soon after with the first, I think, talking ATMs in New York. Bank America became the first with the biggest nationwide commitment. 
And for those first couple of years, we we're always talking about the first, the first talking ATMs in Spanish, the first talking ATMs in this state or that state. And, you know, this was before really websites and internet and all the connections we have now, but the blind community was very active and very together. And we started getting calls from different states. Oh, we want talking ATMs here. Can you help us? A lot of the banks we worked with at the time have subsequently been purchased by B of A or Wells Fargo, you know, but at that time there were a lot more smaller banks. And we work with blind advocates all over the country on this issue. And right from the beginning after California, we always included the banking website on top of the ATMs. Um, one of the earliest ones we worked in Chicago, um, in Illinois with an advocate named Kelly Pierce. And he used to have an email list that like every person, I think every blind person in the country was on it. And we didn't have any regulations at the time and Kelly's advocacy in bringing the community together to help us get regulations. So it just kind of snowballed. And then people, you know, it's my view that most people would rather not file a lawsuit to get something accomplished, whether you're disabled or not. And I think we hit a chord in the blind community, both with the achievements in terms of the actual technology advancements and also with the process. And so we worked on accessible pedestrian signals. We worked on major league baseball websites. We worked on uh, talking prescription labels, all in this collaborative way. And yeah, there's still a lot to do. Well, I, I mean, that's another, I think, uh, thing I want to key in on on the background you're talking about. So you mentioned where ATMs were was one of the, you know, that first important areas that required support. Um, I guess it, that's something you could consider a combination of digital and physical uh, accessibility issues. But I mean, I think you mentioned uh, late 90s when you first started talking with Wells Fargo, but es essentially uh, uh, digital uh, consumption of services obviously has exploded uh, since then where, where it, it's a critical part of uh, everyone's lives. And so uh, I, I imagine the scale uh, magnitude of the things that you're, you're having to uh, you know, work with and consider has uh, increased quite a lot over the past few years. Yes, and I'm happy to say there's more lawyers in the space doing the work. Um, you know, when I started out, uh, we had the very first web accessibility agreement in the country um, between California Council of the Blind and Bank of America. And shortly thereafter, uh, the National Federation of the Blind started doing agreements. And so early on that, you know, I was working with the ACB and its affiliates and the Brown Goldstein Levy firm, which is still very involved in this work and does great work. They were working with NFB, they still do. Um, so yeah, there's a ton more things, um, but there's also, there's more companies and leadership global organizations who get it, who we can point to companies like Microsoft and, you know, Google and Yahoo and companies are now seeing the value of the disability, not just the disability market, but the 
digital inclusion values. And I think I've never seen in all my years anything like what we're seeing now in terms of accessibility jobs and big companies and um, global marketing efforts. Procter & Gamble has a wonderful head of accessibility in London named Sam Latif, and she's doing amazing work with their advertising, including audio description. And, you know, Google did a, a super, uh, Google did a national ad. I forgot if it was Super Bowl. I think Microsoft's accessible gaming uh, console they did as a Super Bowl ad. Google did, a, I think it was the Oscars. Google did a great ad featuring their captioning on the Oscars. Unheard of back when I started. And I think that's really helping. I mean, of course, there's a long way to go. And I don't want to be seen as someone who thinks everything's rosy because everything isn't. But certainly significant progress has come about since we first started. Well, I, you, you mentioned your work with structured negotiation. Uh, maybe could you uh, talk a little bit about that, how that plays out as a, a process? Uh, yeah. So. You know, like I said, when we started with the banks, uh, we didn't file a lawsuit for various reasons. And over the years, um, we've kind of refined what it means to work in collaboration and how does it happen. And I wrote my book in 2016. It's called Structured Negotiation, A Winning Alternative to Lawsuits. I just put out the second edition in October of last year. And writing a book kind of forced me to look at, well, what is it that we do that allowed companies like Anthem and Walmart and cities like the city of San Francisco to work with us without a lawsuit? And um, really so much of it is the mindset. We call it the structured negotiation mindset. I call it dolphin skills to emphasize you don't have to be a shark. Um, basic communications, uh, understanding that things take time in a large organization. You know, there's a lot of lawyers in this space now that use the ADA in ways I consider unethical. And one of the hallmarks of that kind of work is a demand letter to a gigantic company, you know, give us this money, fix this thing in the next two weeks or else we're gonna sue you. Well, those of us in accessibility, including you and everyone you've interviewed know that nothing happens in two weeks. I'm not saying it shouldn't, but it can't. And what we're going for is real baked in accessibility. And that depends on companies knowing people with disabilities. And this is a process that is open in the legal system for companies to get to know their disabled customers. You know, we've worked, did an agreement with Charles Schwab. They were a great negotiating partner on behalf of a blind woman who was an options trader. Well, their developers and trainers, they never thought, oh, their options trading site needed to work for a blind person. But because we weren't fighting and we could get everyone in a room and they could meet this blind person, it was like, Oh yeah, people want to do the right thing. I mean, I, I kind of believe that. And this is a process that gives people the opportunity for it. So in the book, I go through all the elements, like how do you write a letter that says is a legal problem, but also invites cooperation? You know, how do you bring in expertise in a way that really helps all the parties? How do you 
to have a meeting? How do you write language so people don't get defensive and, you know, narrow? Because we want accessibility to be innovative and creative and, you know, so it's a process that has worked. I, I'm very careful to say it's not a process for every case and each lawyer and client has to decide. Um, but it's a process that is definitely a tool in the toolkit for our digital accessibility in the United States. Well, in my observations, uh, I, certainly not from a legal framework, but when I when I you know read in, into uh, articles about uh, where there have been lawsuits involved, it generally to me seems like. Uh, places where there's just an egregious uh, lack of attention uh, to the area, whereas organizations uh, that understand that it's uh, iterative and are tr transparent about, uh, you know, working to move forward, uh, I, I think they rarely end up in, in a legal problem when when you can see that the efforts are being made to uh, make their products and services so more accessible. You know, I would have said that was true four years ago. I would have said absolutely that was true. Um, I, I think there is a different type of lawyer in the space now and people can get a lawsuit even if they are trying. Um, not to say they don't have problems, but not every lawyer is willing to find out are there people working on it are their problems. So um, one of my sort of, I don't know, goal, message, passion is if you get one of those lawsuits, let's let's not let bad actors define good behavior. You know what I mean? So yeah, you might get a lawsuit. I've talked to many small organizations that gotten lawsuits that they they tell me where we're trying, we did this, we had these few problems, why did we get a lawsuit? And I don't do that kind of work helping those companies, but I always say like, okay, in some ways it's a cost of doing business. In some ways you can use it as an opportunity to do better. Um, some people get those types of lawsuits and they haven't done nothing, they haven't done anything. One of the concerns I have about those types of lawsuits is, um, I know what it's like to stick with a company till they get it right. And if you're sending a hundred demand letters a week, you know, and saying, fix this, mm -hmm. it doesn't get fixed. So, you know, there's different views about different strategies, but it's really important to remember that there are ethical lawyers doing ethical work, filing ethical lawsuits. And if you happen to get hit by something that you don't think is fair, don't let it influence your commitment to doing the right thing. Well, yeah, well it's good to uh, kind of learn about that development in this area. And, and so if, it, if an organization ends up in that, in that situation, it, it sounds like in some way they'd need you know, to have some type of representation to be able to protect themselves as they determine what the right course of action is. Yes, if you get a lawsuit in the United States, it's very wise to hire a lawyer. I mean, you don't have, you don't have to, you can try to do it yourself. But another um, sort of concern I have that wasn't in the space when I started is the use of web accessibility overlays. And these are one line of code pieces of software where the companies 
often claim, oh, just install this one line of code for a monthly license fee and we'll give you ADA protection. So I've written a lot about that. If any of your listeners are new to this issue, um, going to the overlayfactsheet.com is where you can get tons of resources on this. And I tie it in, it, it's sort of part of the ecosystem right now. They're very heavily venture funded. So, you know, we have to keep the eye on the prize of true baked in accessibility with disabled people front and center and not let these developments distract us from the mission. <laughs> well, I, I like I, I know I'm always suspicious when I hear claims of uh, providing certification because we, we don't really have an, an, an authority body uh, in the United States or in other parts of the world that that say that something there's not there's not a legal framework for that. Um, you know, we have uh, you know VPAT and the ability to transparently talk about what we've done to uh, support that. But I but I I know a lot of uh, organizations when they're looking for accessibility support a lot of times they're looking for some official quote unquote quote official certification uh and indemnification and uh uh you know that's that's not really out there it is as far as i understand yeah there there isn't one and another thing people have to understand and like the people who have been part of your series obviously do Accessibility is not one and done. And this is why I'm this is why I'm so public about the overlays or the unethical lawyers, because uh, accessibility every time you issue a release can be improved or can be broken. And so without a real baked in accessibility program that covers all aspects of the organization, you know, what you purchase, procurement and communications and every single thing. If you don't have that, people are gonna be excluded. And that's why I do the public speaking is because accessibility is a civil right of people with disabilities. And no matter what your role is, whether you're a developer or a designer or communicator or content writer, that means you're kind of a civil rights enforcer. And if, if I think thinking about it that way, we have to do the hard individual work, but we're also part of the bigger picture of enforcing rights. And to me, it's all about inclusion or exclusion. And every decision point has that option. We've got to include, we're going to exclude. So that's kind of why I think I became this bridge to communicating about this because too often the legal space feels complicated and you know bogged down or you hear about oh 10 million dollar lawsuit against this company the next thing you know it's settled for you don't know what so i think mm -hmm. looking at the law as a civil right can help all of us advance our common goals here and looking uh you know into the future uh there's always uh, opportunities that are that are on the horizon. There's also challenges that we have to be concerned about. You mentioned some of the challenges about uh, predatory uh, lawsuits uh, and in uh, what seem like simple software solutions. Are there any other challenges that you see 
moving forward or on the other side things where you 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 see uh, opportunities for things to uh, go in a positive direction? Well, you hit my two biggest worries, which are the overlay companies and the and the serial lawsuit file filers. Um, I do think COVID, for all its terribleness, does give us an opportunity to keep the focus on the need for accessibility because things are never going to go back. I don't think to a hundred percent in person and. People have learned the importance of accessible digital spaces, especially in healthcare. You know, the US Department of Justice now is doing a lot of good work in making sure that vaccine portals and testing portals are accessible. So I think there is a heightened awareness, and I think that will continue. And um, with the large companies and with the advocates and the global nature of accessibility is very strong. When we first started with the talking ATMs, we would talk to people in other countries. Well, you use NCR. They built the talking ATM here in the US. They can have it over there. So I think the bringing together the global community and um, the heightened awareness around the importance of accessibility will hopefully continue to grow this amazing community and movement that we have. Well, I, I look forward to that uh, future as well. And uh, Lainey, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat with me about your uh, experiences and your background and how you got to where you are today. And uh, um, hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, see you at some point in the future at an in-person event. Uh, but otherwise, uh, we'll continue on uh, this way. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation, really. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. 
If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.